Okay. And welcome to the show. Everyone. Thank you. Everyone today, my guest is Carl Kaufman, who, let's see, I've known you since 2006, right? If you game. say so. I think so. Um, and Carl, now let's see, let's start with how we met was a football game, but that wasn't like we were fans. You were the engineer <laughs> on a truck, and by engineer, I mean wizard, who randomly would go around and put everything together, and I swear to God, you had to have a cauldron and, like, Eye of Newt, Blood of Dragon. <laughs> That's part of being a broadcast engineer. No, most of it was just... Um that the equipment is old enough that uh, comes close to approaching my era of um, being in broadcast and being around that sort of stuff. And I've been around it since the 60s. So a lot of it is sort of second nature of understanding how it works and what it does. Um, so um, I don't think I ever had to do Eye of Newt. I did uh, sacrifice a gopher at one point. But, uh, <laughs> <other than that. laughs> it's just fun to um, try and resurrect that stuff and make it work like it was originally intended. Yeah, it's a it's a very cool thing to actually do a production. It was very. I remember the first game. I was going, "Wow, I can't believe that people do this all the time." Because it was a lot more work than you expect. Like you watch a, a football game on ESPN, you're like, "Ah, it's just twenty cameras, no big deal." <laughs> um, but you know, we only had we had. I think we only had five for that game, and right. it was a nightmare. And there were so many things that could go wrong, and cables that you had to run, and everything to set up. So there was a lot going on. But then uh, come to find out that you were. I, was that were you at State Fund yet at that point? No, I was still um, I was still with Flying Horse Communications out of Bozeman at that okay. point. And so, the the basic history that I know about you is that you've you've been in TV forever. You've always done um, marketing and communications, and pretty much everybody in the state looks up to you for any sort of messaging. No, well, thank you. I don't know that that many of them look up to me. Some of them look askance and wonder why I'm not in a home somewhere or haven't been committed or am not in jail, but uh, I have been doing it for a long time. Yeah. Now, you folks at home didn't um, hear that conversation with Kevin, but it's a great indication of what um, what you can become, I guess, in that you can fix technical problems over the phone. Uh, because most of the time, it's, it's something that the operator is not doing that they need to do. <coughs> Um, and it gets to be second nature. You can visualize in your mind um, what the machinery should be doing, where plugs should be, where switches should be, all that sort of stuff. Um, and uh, know when somebody tells you what a problem is, what they're doing wrong. Oh, or at least have a, a good idea of what's going wrong with it. And the opposite side of that would be the session. Because <laughs> yeah. I can well, visualize that's... what they're doing wrong. I just can't find a solution that wouldn't involve me ending up in jail. So. Nobody can. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you've been in marketing forever, and some of the best commercials that were Montana commercials have been from the companies that you've worked for. And then, for the last five years, you'd been with State Fund, and you'd not only been their marketing director, but you were their lobbyist as well. Correct. So, you've been around politics forever, and you've always been involved with a bunch of volunteer organizations. I know you're doing stuff for Big Brothers Big Sisters, and what else is going on? Oh, I in the... In my history, if you want to call it that, I actually started doing stuff with the legislature back in the mid-80s, having to do with the tourism industry, and eventually culminating in the passage of the accommodations tax, uh, the bed tax is what a lot of people call it, uh, that is used to promote Montana tourism, and have seen a lot of success in that industry. Um, it's Montana's first or second uh, largest business, depending, it's right behind agriculture, but it depends on whether or not you... Uh, include the federal subsidies that the agriculture uh, industry gets as part of their income stream versus um, just pure 
revenue. The nice thing about the tourism industry is it's a base industry uh, because they go after so much, um, so many out-of-state residents mm-hmm. who come in here, or non-residents who come in here and spend, you know, every year to, uh, $10 million or so on um, <clears throat> goods and services and things to do. The hotels are actually a very small part of that, but they're the ones who collect the tax. They put this tax on themselves back in 1987, and um, that is used to promote Montana as a tourism destination to uh, out-of-state and out-of-country visitors. So um, that's been a um, a great case study in a success and something that the legislature did and did well. Now, there have been, over the years, um, a lot of attacks on that. And people who think the money should be used someplace else, um, who discredit the tourism industry for doing a lot of, um, oh, minimum wage jobs. And there are some. Uh, We would have restaurants and whatnot who pay minimum wage plus tips regardless. The nice thing is, is because of the tourism industry, we have more of them and a greater variety of them. Right. Because they use those dollars coming in to support it. Um, And um, most restaurants now cannot afford to pay minimum wage to their staff. There's just too many other job opportunities out there that people who have any kind of intelligence or any kind of training can do. And the northeast part of the state is a great illustration of that uh, because of the oil boom that's going on. They have uh, McDonald's and whatnot are paying 15 and 20, $15 $20 an hour to the people who work behind the counter um, because that's the only way they can attract people to work there and not go to work in the oil fields. Right. Um, the, the the oil boom is definitely interesting. Um, I'm always reminded of the the line in uh, the song, the best in the best little whorehouse in Texas. You know, thank God the oil run dry. <laughs> <laughs> it would get a little rowdy. Um, so in amongst all of the stuff that you've done, you know, dealing with the legislature since the 80s, what was it like as you saw the legislature evolve? from the time that you started with it until the last session. I'm well, not trying to you know, do this as therapy or make you relive the last <laughs> session too much. Although. Oh, good. Uh, well, you know, the, the thing about the legislative process in our legislature is that they are citizen legislators. Um, they are people who, for the most part, have or work at other businesses um, mm. during the non- session years, I guess you'd say, and during their free time. And it, it's a wide variety of different things from manufacturing through agriculture, through the tourism industry, and, and so on. Um, some of them work at nonprofits, some of them manage nonprofits, and some very good and worthwhile businesses. Um, so from that standpoint, you would think they would have a very good grasp of everything that goes on in the state. Um, The thing that I've seen over the years is there seems to be um, a real mind shift. And my only um, rationale for it is that the political party divisions dictate then what they are going to do and what they are going to say. And a lot of the rationality that these people have goes right out the window as soon as they walk through the doors of the Capitol. The other thing about it, and um, it's what keeps a lot of um, what would be very good legislators, I think, from from uh, going through the election process is, number one, having to um, affiliate with and abide by a party, but also um, the time that it takes. Because now, in the past few years, past eight or ten years, really, um, but even more in the, the last four or five, the 
um, interim sessions take up a lot of time. And so these people find themselves coming to Helena uh, very often, once a month or so. Plus, they have a lot of homework to do. Um, the amount of mail that these people get is just incredible, as well as email and phone calls and whatnot from uh, constituents, people who would vote for them, who uh, have a very narrow grasp of what's going on statewide, but yet are very vocal about um, uh, letting a legislature know just exactly what they think they should be doing uh, that would either benefit them or their business directly. And um, and then there's the lobbyists also. Now that that's a big misconception too. But and I'll get back to that. Get to that in a minute. But uh, yes, everybody pictures lobbyists yeah. as like they've all got horns and a pitchfork and they just wander around the Capitol. And well, and we also carry suffer. you know flasks of whiskey and spend a lot of money on steaks and whatnot. And that's not the case at all. Um, sometimes we do go meet a legislator for dinner or have a drink with them, but they are very sensitive to how the um, their constituency per- perceives that when they do it. And so it's very seldom that a legislator is going to want to join a lobbyist for dinner or for mm-hmm. drinks or whatnot. Um, most of the time it's a case of running into them at their favorite bar or whatnot while they're here and talking to them. Now, the the legislators do, some of them, We'll put it that way. Realize that there is no way, no way in hell that they can ever understand everything that crosses their plate. Yeah, but there are a bunch it. of there are a bunch of legislatures that legislators that have no intention of understanding things right. that cross their plate. Yep. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of those, but the really intelligent ones and the one ones who do such a great job. For the people here in our state are the ones who realize that and they do rely on lobbyists to give them um, information, to give them facts. And that's what most of the lobbyists do is they're there to give facts and tell the truth to a legislator when they're hearing all sorts of wild and hairy tales about a business or a tax policy or something that's going on. Workers' compensation, which was with state fund when I was there. Um, lobbying for is a great case in point for that. There is so much misunderstanding, so many rumors, so many mistruths about that, about the system, about its purpose and whatnot, that it um, it uh, is a very difficult and challenging process to do that legislative education. The other thing that we have going against us, um, really, and this is my opinion, is term limits. Because we lose a lot of the knowledge in the history um, that these legislators gain, having been there for three or four terms. Um, yeah, and I, so every session is a new, a whole new class that you yeah, have to work with. I was uh, bemoaning; I've bemoaned it several times on the show. I think that term limits—it was a great idea, um, but it was implemented in such a way that I think we've. Uh, you know, we've cut back the rose bush a little too far. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's no more blooms. And there are people who um, who have turned out both in the House and the Senate now, who made a very valuable contribution to the state and, and to managing the state. On the other hand, <clears throat> in some ways, it's been good because there are some people who uh, were extremely and detrimental, and we never need to see them again. <laughs> yes. Yep. Uh, and uh, well, and that was the whole reason the term limits came into place. I mean, we live in Helena, which is the capital city, and the reason it, that I ninety doesn't go through here is because the legislators from Butte had so much power; they were able to redirect the federal funding and move a freeway. 
You know, and on some level, it's like, uh, no, you've used your powers for bad, and now we have to punish you. Uh, we ended up punishing ourselves, but... And they, they, um, there's an argument to be made for that, too, Kevin, because um, the people who live in Butte would say that that was a great thing for their city and that the Butte delegation was doing exactly what they were supposed to do, which is to be an advocate for their city. The, uh, the cross to that, of course, is that these people not only need to be an advocate for their community and for their constituents, but they also need to be able to um, cross that with what they need to do for the benefit of the state of Montana. Right. And and it's a hard balancing act. And unfortunately, when you get to the point that you get these people that are so tied into their local community that they can't think about the rest of the state, we end up with those problems. And while I think it's it's interesting that Butte is still around, you know, it, it historically it's a great town. I don't have too much against it. I don't like the fact that, you know, the efficiency of our freeway system was compromised by the politics of the state to keep a town alive. That you know is sitting next to a super fun site that's never going to be fixed. So, True, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's it's historically great, but there's also a big hole. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, the other kick my ass. <laughs> thing that I would say, um, and this was such a dramatic change and such a sudden change. Most of us got whiplash from it, but the last legislative session was so divisive. Um, there was no civility. Um, the Republican majority just basically took over like a steamroller and said, we have this opportunity. We're going to push through or try to push through legislation that um, is very, very self-centered and has no real benefit for the state of Montana. And in a lot of cases has no place in the operation of the state of Montana. But we must be able to hunt with an atlatl. Yeah, <laughs> we can't we can't get off our couches to right. actually go hunting. But I want to use a spear. That's another great frustration of watching the process up there is seeing all these bills come through that have no value at all, absolutely none, and have there's no rhyme or reason to have them there, have them being debated, debated, and wasting the time um, by the committees when they debate them, and taking away the time that would be needed for things that actually do matter. When I saw groups of 400 or more people coming to try and testify in a bill hearing and being turned away because they didn't have any time for it, some of them uh, got to the point where the first four or five people were able to make a statement. The next four or five hundred were only able to say their name and where they were from. And in some cases, they never even got that far. Um, and when they're taking time away from things like that, from hearing from the citizens of the state in regard to a piece of proposed legislation and um, that lack of time being in part due to some of these frivolous bills that come in. Uh, it really disturbs me. Yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting session. I hated it. Um, I've never been so insulted by people that were supposed to represent me in my life. And I've lived in six states, five states, something like that. And I've seen legislative sessions go off the rails. Uh, not like this. Not like this last one. It was it was incredibly bad. And some of the people that were the worst offenders at the state are, in their normal lives, pretty normal people. You'd never would expect it from them. It's <laughs> no. like, where did this come from? How did this happen? Um, 
there was no white powder delivered to the Capitol that we know of, but apparently everybody snorted some crazy dust before they walked <laughs> through the door. Well, especially on the part of the majority party. Um, we saw lots of that. And it was uh, very disturbing. Usually in a session, too, by when you get within two weeks of the closing date, things are starting to settle down. Uh, you pretty much know where you are. Um, there isn't a lot of debate or anything going on, but... Um, um, in this last session, uh, right up to the wire, right up to the part of when they adjourned, it was still a lot of debate and a lot of um, flames, I guess, coming out of the Capitol building windows. Yeah, it was it was interesting. And, you know, there was, there's a lot of bills that didn't get done this last session. And then there were a lot of legislative referendums, or as I've decided to call them, the legislative abdications. <laughs> <laughs> And two of them have been turned down by the the Supreme Court. They've they've looked at them and went, mm, "I'm glad you people got together and voted on this, but you were obviously drunk, and we're going to say no." But there's a couple of them that are is it LR one twenty one that you the the tax refund? Oh no, that's one thirty four or one thirty four. And the court just ruled on that, said it was unconstitutional. Oh, so it gave the legislature powers that they don't have. <laughs> or let them assign a duty to them for something that they don't have the power to do. Um, listening to um, Senator Lewis this morning, I think you can pretty much bet that that's going to come up in another form. And the people from the uh, Montana Budget and Policy Center agree that it's probably going to come up in some other form. Um, what that is, is if we have a surplus, then a percentage of that surplus would... Um, go back to the Montana taxpayers. Um, when have we actually had a surplus that we haven't needed for fire season? Well, that's the argument against it. I mean, one is the fact that it would the way the bill was written, it would have been automatic. So it wouldn't have mattered if we saw, as any good fiscal manager does, that we have some things coming up that are going to cost a lot of money. And that we should use that surplus, you know, keep it in the bank, as it mm-hmm. were, so that we can pay off the fire season or... Um, Take care of some of the building projects. Yeah, or fix get our, our roads and bridges. Have yeah. you driven in the state in a while? <laughs> Do some of the things like that with it. And um, so everybody, I think, for the most part, was very happy. Now, the people who drafted the bill were not happy at all. They expected a court challenge. However, they expected to win it. And that didn't happen. So I, I uh, was assured by two different people with two different viewpoints this morning that something like that was probably going to come up again during this next session. Now, is Lewis up for election? No. Oh, so we do have to deal with him again. Yeah, yeah, but this will be, then he's termed out and he's done. Oh, so there is a there is a light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> Two years and it's away. It's not a train. But it's not yeah. a train. <laughs> yeah. Two years is just one session. And and this is something that a lot of people don't realize about Montana. We only have a session every other year and it's for ninety days. And in Helena, it is ninety days of intense madness. There are far too many cars around the Capitol complex because all the legislators drive and then all the lobbyists and all the citizens that come up to get to um influence the the process in one way or another are all there and trying to park and people are walking around and and there's a lot of uh strange that happens at that point one of the things that i thought was really funny is i guess two years ago a bunch of people got really upset when governor schweitzer pointed out that well the alcohol consumption spikes in helena (laughs) when those when the legislature is in town and people were well he's calling the legislators drunk i'm like no he's not he's pointing out that the citizens of helena have to drink to put up with you people (laughs) (laughs) well that's what it is i know the bars are usually very full Um, Uh, yeah not happy places but they're there (laughs) yeah yep 
Um, so how did you end up dealing with politics and communications? Was this your goal growing up? Or? No, it's pretty much trip, stumble, and fall. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when uh, you start doing things and people ask you to do something else and you discover that you have, a, in my case anyhow, at least a, uh, um, a modicum of talent in it, and a little bit of an ability to do it, then you tend to gravitate towards that. And, and because more people ask me to do stuff along these lines, I just kept doing it and whatnot. I can't say that I don't enjoy it. Um, uh, the legislative process or being a lobbyist is probably the least enjoyable of all the things that I do. But yet um, the main benefit that I see from it or the kick that I get out of it is being able to legis- to educate a legislator and get them to, if they don't just change their mind, at least understand why things are as they are. And that runs across a broad spectrum of different activities here in the state. Right. And and educating legislators, legislators, God, I'm having the worst time with that word this morning. Legislators uh, usually is a pretty interesting process because they're willing to learn. Sometimes it's like teaching colors to a one-year-old. Yeah. But uh, a colorblind one-year-old. <laughs> no, no, no. That's a different shade of gray. Uh, well, or trying to get an Aryan Nation person to understand that people of color are okay. I mean, it's it's almost close oh, to that. You just, it's an impossibility. Um, they have such an ingrained sense of what they think and what they believe is truth that it becomes impossible to try and teach them. And there's the old saying, you can feed them books and all they do is eat the pages. And it comes down to that sometimes. And that is extremely frustrating. I don't think happens. I've ever I don't think I've ever heard that saying before, but that's pretty apt. <laughs> <laughs> so um let's let's discuss lobbyists because there is this uh perception that a lobbyist is this evil, evil person who comes in and throws money at legislatures and to legislators. Ugh at the schmucks and tries to buy buy their vote. And you know that's the over that's the story that the media gives about lobbyists right now. Lobbyists are evil. They do this horrible thing, and they're distorting the process. And anyone who's uh, who gets involved, you, I would think that on some level, once somebody gets involved, they get an idea that no, that's not what a lobbyist is. But then I talk to people who have been involved and been up there talking to the legislature and giving testimony and um, doing all the things that lobbyists do, but doing it as a citizen. Uh, and then they don't understand that they're lobbying. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> that's so true, I guess that's, we better start with, yeah. you know, what is I mean, a lobbyist? <clears throat> a lobbyist is just about exactly what you said. The only difference between a lobbyist doing it and a citizen doing it is the lobbyist has to register and pay a fee uh, to be able to be there. We have to file reports every month mm-hmm. that um, tell talk about who we talk to, how much time, all this sort of stuff uh, that we spent with them, what the issue was, and so on. So there is a, a pretty high degree of, of accountability that goes with being a lobbyist. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you are a lobbyist, <coughs> you're registered as having to talk or deal with certain specific industries or issues. And uh, if you're going to talk about something else or lobby legislators on something else, um, then you have to register again to be able to do that. It's um, The term came from the fact that uh, you cannot go on the floor of the House or the floor of the Senate when they're in session, and you cannot make comment uh, in either of those places while they're in session. In fact, when they're in a committee, you have to wait 
for uh, them to request public comment, or you can sign up to give testimony. And um, if they decide not to hear what you're going to say, if they don't want you uh, or they feel that they don't have time, um, you don't get to talk. And um, uh, the other really frustrating thing about it, especially both in the committee sessions and on the floor, is they will sit there and talk about and discuss you and um, some of the points about the industry or or, um, whatever you're representing, and you don't get to counter it. Uh, There are many times when you want to stand up and scream, that's not true, or something even more um, (laughs) You dirty bastards. (laughs) That's just pure BS, and you can't do that. Now, so what you do is you grab a a legislator when they're outside of those rooms, when they're in the lobby, and that's where the the word lobbyist came from. And it goes way back to the very early days of legislators and legislation and and so on. Um, There was a time, I would admit, when special interests were there um, and were doling out a lot of money. Um, They... um, provided a lot of funds towards campaigns. They bought a lot of perks for legislators and whatnot, but that, especially here in Montana, that just isn't the case anymore. And having, um, well, for instance, the the people who lobby for different business aspects here in the state uh, during the last session, every Monday uh, over lunch, uh, we would meet and talk about things that were going on. And I have nothing but respect for those people. They, um, they work very hard. They really, I mean, they're part of their thing is to do what's best for the businesses or the interests that they're representing. But really they're doing their very best also, uh, to, uh, educate the legislators for the, the betterment of the state of Montana and things that are going on. So when you, sit and visit with these people and you hear what they have to say and this runs all the way from the state chamber of commerce through the oil industry the energy industry the coal industry um uh farm bureau uh, agriculture industry um all this stuff they really do have the best interests of the people of montana at heart and then secondary is um the effect of what is going to be either discussed or done in the legislature on uh, their industry and on the people of Montana. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting. We've got uh, a process that seems to work very well. And it breaks down every once in a while when we have some extremists get into power and do sort of mob politics. Yes. Um, but I, I, I have hope for this election. I, <laughs> it may be a foolish hope. I may be dreaming, but um, I look around and I see uh, a lot of good people are running. Um, a lot of really good people have decided to step in, especially from the last session um, that, that were just around the session. And they're like, no, we can't do this anymore. Somebody else has to be in there. And they're willing to throw their own name into the hat and uh, run for office. Have you ever considered running for office? I think I have too much um, baggage from my past to ever be successful in oh, a come campaign. On. You, have, you have a Harley. You would make the greatest governor ever <laughs> simply because it'd be like, no, we'll have this meeting. 90 miles down the road, grab your leathers, people, we'll go. Quite honestly, Kevin, I don't think I could because I could not subscribe to the party. Um, Run as an independent. Jesse Ventura did whatever. It. When, the, you know, the party says, you may not feel this way, you may not think this way, but this is the way you're going to vote. Um, there's no way that I could ever do that. And uh, that a lot of I know a lot of people up there who are very good, very smart, um, genuine folks 
Um, I give you one case in point, and there's a, there's several hundred of them. A guy who's a second grade school teacher in Saint Ignatius, who he wasn't in this last session; he was in the session before. And when I was talking, and I'd known this guy since Carroll College days back in the '60s, mm. um, and I was talking to him about a particular issue that was coming up in front of the committee that he was on, and I we figured it was going to pass out of there and we'd go to the floor of the house. But I walked up to him one day and asked him how he was going to vote. And he said, Carl, I know how I'd like to vote. I understand everything that you told me, but I also know how I'm going to have to vote. And he took that experience and decided not to run again in the next session. And it's just because of that that I don't think I could ever do it. Mm. Um, I could never. I'd be in the same position he's in. Only um, I'd probably get yelled at a lot. (laughs) <laughs> see i I'd, I'd almost like you to run just because i'd like to see people try to yell at you i think that i like i don't even yell at you i yell at marty all the time and i never yell at you <laughs> so i don't I, I don't know i think it i think it's interesting i mean there's a lot of stuff that goes on in politics that drives me up a wall and i tend to be one of those people who will let everyone know that i'm going to drive up this wall and exactly how far up the wall i intend to drive how fast i intend to drive and what i will be driving <laughs> but um Um, there's also parts of politics that I think that we do a really good job in. And, you know, Montana is weird because we do only have the legislature every other year. And it's, it is the citizen legislature legislature and they spend a a lot of time not doing their elected job because, you know, they have to make money and actually survive and it's Montana. You gotta do something else. Uh, we don't pay that much. Um, and we do pretty well. I mean, Montana's pretty well thriving. There's not too much that's wrong with it. There's a lot of people that are complaining about many, many things that I just don't actually see as problems. Yes, there are areas that we could definitely improve, but they aren't critical. I don't see many critical infrastructure problems with our state. I see a lot of things that could become critical if we let them continue to fail. But there's always going to be things that need to be fixed, and we're never going to have enough money. I don't know anybody. There's a great card on... Um, Actually, I think it's on Bruce Parker's door that says, can anybody remember when there was all the money you needed and times weren't tough? (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) No, When money wasn't scarce and times weren't tough? It's like, uh, no, I don't remember that. I don't think it's ever happened in this state. But we work really hard to do stuff. So this next legislative session will be the first one where you are not actively well you've been lobbying for five years because you were state fund but we were lobbying before that for other other businesses as well and have you made a final decision that you're just going to avoid the next session and be done with it or can people still call you and go carl we need your help it would depend on the interest or the Mm -hmm. business um and whether or not i could develop a uh, an affinity and a like for it and also a belief there's um two different aspects to any kind of lobbying effort or really any kind of communications effort and that one of those is what they call facts and uh you know just give me i'm the sorry facts. there are many people who facts. are unfamiliar with this could you repeat that <laughs> well the problem with facts is you can spin a fact any way you want to right you can only tell part of it you can tell the part of it that is most beneficial to you and, and your business. You can hide other facts if they are detrimental to what's going on. You can duck them or whatever. Uh, you can color them. And uh, goodness knows you hear this all the time of people taking facts and really turning them into something that is, excuse me, <coughs> only a very, very small part of the real aspect of this, and that's truth. 
Right. And um, people who I've represented, that's one of the things that I require is that I be able to tell the truth and not have to spin anything, not have to color anything. And if somebody asks me a hard question, and State Fund is a good Example, I'll give you just one of the the aspects, and that was when they built the building that they have. There were a lot of facts that people were spewing out about the cost of it, who was paying for it, um, that it was um, a big waste of money. Um, It was odd because even back in the five years before they started construction, the governor and everybody else um, said, yeah, it's a good idea, go ahead and build it. And then when they started the actual construction, one of the... (laughs) triggers was the fact that you could see the crane out the top window of the fourth floor and the third floor windows of the Capitol. And that really bugged the legislators because they had no authority to say no. They couldn't tell state fund that they couldn't build the building. Uh, The legislature has uh, some types of oversight and they get to review state funds, budgets and things like that, but they have no actual power over them. They're run or governed by a board of directors that is appointed by the governor. And they are the people who actually make the decisions. Oh, so it's like, it's like the university system. Yeah. <laughs> and it just bugged the heck out. They thought that the legislature was um, downright frothing at the mouth, that they should have been able to say no to this building. Well, the legislature the, was frothing at the mouth because they were crazy. Yeah. <laughs> well, this was the session before this last one. It wasn't this last one. Um, they did not understand that the, you know state fund has these assets, invested assets, that are there to ensure that if you have a workplace injury, your benefits will be covered. And that includes all the way up through the rest of your life, which a lot of the benefits uh, previous to this last session and still are. You, uh, If you're injured in any way, shape, or form, um, those, especially your medical uh, costs for that injury, go for the rest of your life. And uh, that's what the uh, invested assets are there for. It's money that is held in trust and... Uh, it is invested, so it earns interest, which helps um, state fund keep their rates down because mm-hmm. they use that interest to do it. Um, state fund was originally in three different buildings um, up on the, the uh, south end of the gulch. Uh, they were paying rent on all three of them. One of them was a very interesting case because it was actually built um, when state fund was part of the Department of uh, Labor. And... Uh, um, So the Department of Labor holds the title on the building. State Fund paid off the bonds on the building when they left Department of Labor and became their own entity in in the 80s. And then had to uh, rent the building. Well, they paid off $38 million in bonds and then had to pay rent to the Department of Labor for the state for the building. So it just it's one of those really convoluted ways of doing things, plus the rent they were paying on the other two. So um, the new building... Um, everybody's in the same place. They're not paying rent to anybody but themselves. And um, and it's a beautiful building. It's part, oh, it is. It's a great place to go to work. And they, um, um, the efficiencies of being in there, they're saving over 33% a month just on the utility bills in that building. So, And it's part of the invested assets. Mm. Um, what? One of the things that the um, Board of Investments, which oversees state funds um, investments, and really they they control them. State fund has very little say into what they buy and what they do with it. Uh, one of the suggestions that the Board of Investments made about seven years ago was, you guys ought to think about buying a building and having real estate. It's a great investment. 
It is. Kind of thing. And, and, so, and I would suggest, considering they had to pay rent to the state, maybe lease it to the state. Get some of that rent <laughs> well, money back. Well, they've, they've talked about that. They really have. I think it's the arcade discussion. building is for sale. Is it? That and, was one of the buildings where we were. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, they... Um, and the Powell Block is for sale. I think part of the other itch uh, that the legislature couldn't scratch was the fact that some of our state employees, a lot of our state employees, are in office space that is really substandard. I mean, it's nasty, nasty stuff. And they're crammed in there. Um, and there's a, there's some pressure from different people to get the legislature to go on a building project um, and do something about this bad office space and the lack of it. Um, and State Funds Building is such a beautiful building. It's so well designed. It's such a great, comfortable place to go to work that there's jealousy among the other state agencies. And so they were also part of the clamor that this was a bad How come they get something nice? All our stuff is shit. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And they also, uh, Uh. state employees also complain that state funds pay scale is higher than theirs. And that was another interesting thing was the uh, Legislative Services Division was sort of at the point of that charge and telling the uh, one of the interim committees that state fund pays way more. So... um, a legislator asked them to do a side-by-side comparison, and it turns out legislative services, on average, makes more than state fund employees make. So that uh. went away rather quickly. <laughs> <laughs> that one went off wrong. Yeah. Oh, look, it's, uh-huh. it's a firework. I'll set it off in my hand and see how it goes. And our CEO was a lightning rod for a while as being the highest-paid state employee, which he was. Um, although there's, it's he's sort of a state employee, but he's really not. And now he's third or fourth on the the list some other people have moved above him um but the other thing that people don't realize about state fund is that they have to compete with private sector companies for business right and they do the same thing that liberty northwest or travelers or uh, there's over a hundred private company licensed to write work comp here in the state of montana and in order to be able to compete with them number one but also be able to handle the claims and all the things. There's over 1,400, you know, around between 900 and 1,400 new claims every month that come in there. They need people that have the experience to be able to do that and do it well and do it correctly. And those people come from other private sector insurance companies. They also come from a lot of other states. And um, you have to pay a competitive wage to be able to attract those people, number one, and keep them. And there's there's people who've been a claims examiner at Montana State Fund for 15 or 20 years. Um, and that kind of loyalty, part of it is that it's a great place to work, but part of it, too, is that you're paying a competitive wage. Yeah. Well, it sounds interesting. I mean, you've had uh, a lot of stuff that you've done, uh, State Fund obviously being one of the most recent ones. And then um, what... You know, is there anything that you want to see passed in the legislature? Is there anything to, relating to TV or to motorcycles or to anything <laughs> else that that you think has been sort of sitting on the sidelines that the legislature just hasn't taken up? Or oh, no, not really. Um, I mean, some of it I are is more things that I hope don't come up again. Oh. I think some of the <laughs> la- this, of <laughs> this administration's proposed tax policies were just some of the most god-awful things I've ever seen. And it came mostly because the gentleman who's running the Department of Revenue came from tax think banks and, and whatnot and had all these radical concepts, but he has never had to sign the front of a paycheck. Ah. And there's a, there's a lot of 
things that happen to a person's educational process and the way they think if they are a business owner and they're actually signing the front of that check. Right, when it's coming out of an account that their name is attached to. So these these tax policies, thankfully, um, were able to be defeated, mainly a lot of it due to, again, lobbyists, uh, the Montana Taxpayers Association, the Montana Chamber of Commerce, and others who fought them hard and long during the session. And um, other business groups and whatnot who looked at these things and went, oh, my God, no. Um, So hopefully... With the new administration coming in, we won't be facing those kind of issues anymore. Um, Montana's actual tax rate is pretty low when you look at it compared nationwide. So maybe some of the distribution needs to be tinkered with a bit. Um, But I don't know. I don't feel that we need to do any major doctoring to our tax system out there. Mm. Uh, There is one problem that that I see is that People who are on the lower end of the wage scale pay more percentage-wise, not actual dollars, but just percentage-wise of their income and taxes than the people who are on the higher end. And that possibly could be something we should address so that a person who's making close to poverty or or a little bit above doesn't pay as high a percentage of that money to taxes. Yeah, um, I was was talking with some of my very liberal friends and they were talking about how we have, we need to have a progressive tax. I was like, we just need to have a flat tax. And they think I'm crazy, but I would like to point out a flat tax would still be more progressive than the current tax (laughs) situation that we have, which is regressive. Yeah. I'm like, it's not as regressive as a sales tax. Oh, right. Oh, sales tax. Uh, I'm so glad we don't have one. I've lived in, I've lived in two of the three States that don't have sales tax. And I've lived in one state that doesn't have income tax taxes. I would much rather live in a state without sales tax because income tax I can deal with. It's a, it's a constant sales tax is such a wonky thing to think about. And it's, I, I ugh, it needs to go away everywhere. Every state that has one, they're all in trouble. I mean, it's just because people to go buy stuff and then they don't get that tax revenue and then things fall apart. It's like tax the income, just get it over and do it right. And then, you know, don't spend so much money on stupid things. Yeah. And I'm sure there's other things out there just because, um, you know, I've only been exposed to a few of the aspects of the legislature that, that do need to be addressed. Um, I did go and look at the law site, the legislative website this morning. And uh, unlike, because this is a, an election year, mm-hmm. um, there are very few bill proposals or bill draft requests out there. For instance, there was only one for um, workers' compensation. And last year at this time, there was about 40. And so I, I assume attached to something that specific. once the uh, election is over, that we'll see a big influx of bills. Oh, I got 12 of them. bill draft requests. <laughs> <laughs> I also looked to see if there was anything about the bed tax. As I said, the bed tax has been attacked. Last session, there was one bill that, uh, that it made it through thanks to the Republican majority. But thankfully, the governor vetoed it, which would have taken another 10 percent off the top of the bed tax. Um, and put it in the general fund. And this has been something that various legislators have tried to do over the years since this has been passed. And to a certain extent, they've been successful because the tourism industry has rolled over and said, okay, we'll give you this little part if you leave us alone. Well, they leave them alone for one session. And currently, you know, when it started, 100% of the bed tax went to promoting Montana's tourism. That's what it was designed for. That's the way the bill was written. And that's what it should be doing. Well, now only 23% of it goes to that. The rest of it has been peeled off for other programs and funding other things. And no, no, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> How do we get this through their heads? And they wanted to take another 10%. Oh, yeah, because, you know, let's not promote the state. Let's 
yeah, oh, tourism won't happen. It's okay. Nobody will bring money in. We'll be fine. Well, the other thought that people have is this is Montana. People will come here whether we talk about it or not. People and forget where you no, exist. Yes. If we don't we're tell competing, them. You know, we're competing with uh, the budget that we have against cities that spend 10 times what we do. Oh, yeah. Portland, Oregon Visitors Association spent $43 million last year. Yep. That's and just for other Portland, countries not also. Oregon. Yeah. Portland. Exactly. Um and uh, Colorado, you know, I think it was probably about 10 years ago, decided that they were going to take all their um, funding for tourism promotion and put it back in their general fund and use it for other things. And their tourism um, industry dropped by 17% in four months. Um, takes no, People are very, uh, their attention span is very short. Well, and when they're and deciding they're on where to go them. for a vacation, they look stuff up, they look at commercials, they open up magazines. If you're not in there, guess what? They're picking something else. Yep. Now, the tourism industry has adapted. Some One of the criticisms was, well, you're just promoting, um, you know, the Northwest and the Bozeman area, Gallatin Valley, Big Sky, the, the real heavy tourism places, Yellowstone Glacier, right. so on. Well, those are easy draws. Yeah, and they are. I mean, we need to rely on those. The Yellowstone and Glacier are gonna, still going to be and will be for the... Till the end of time. Well, until uh, Yellowstone goes off. Up. Um, they're <laughs> going to be the main it, but you'll be in Utah. keys or the draws to get people here. Now, what happens is people come and they go to those and then they want to come back to the state and do something else. So uh, 75% of our visitors are repeat, which says a lot about the quality of the service that they get while they get here, when they're here and the quality of the experience that they get mm-hmm. because they go to one place and they want to see more. They want to experience more of it. Um, so it's it's um, it's easy to use those to get people here, and I mean it's easy to justify why they do it. The other thing that they're doing that you've seen as part of this get lost program is promoting other one area of the state in a different area of the state. In other yeah. words, they're talking about, and we started doing this when I was doing work for Travel Montana as their advertising agency, promoting places like Makoshika, which is out in the eastern part of the state, to people who live in Missoula, hmm. or Great Falls as a um, center of western culture for people who live in the flathead um there's some out there for butte right now there's some other ones for other places in the state as part of their get lost campaign i think it's a great idea see Um, what the one that i haven't seen is like the big um and oregon did this probably 10 years ago when the when breweries took off i haven't seen the big um come have a beer you know, we here are our breweries. Come see what we brew in Montana. That I know of, we haven't done that. Yeah, and we need to. I, you know, not that we need everybody driving around drunk, but, you know, go try the beer. <laughs> yeah, and you good. see some, I did some work actually for parts of Washington State a few years ago to get people to come out when their wineries first took off. Traitor. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've done t- tours and work for not only several states here in the U.S., but a couple other countries also. Oh, that's Which cool. is a whole other interesting experience, but... um it goes to show again the realization on the part of of everybody out there of how important the non-resident visitor is and what a key role they play in the economy of a state or a city. Right, because they bring money not from the state into. Yeah. You know, every dollar that's spent here, it's, it becomes what, like $13 or something like that. Something. And so every dollar that comes from out of state that's spent here is 13 new dollars that we can Exactly. And that's what people need to realize. That's what I why I called it a base industry a while ago is it's not money that's being recycled here in Montana. It's new stuff coming in. Right. So uh, thoughts on the election? Are you hopeful? Do you have any? I'm hopeful that it's a little more balanced when we come out uh, after November 7th, I think it is, is election day. Is that election day? 
The 6th? Yeah. 6th? Okay. On November 7th, we're a lot more balanced. <laughs> I think on November um, 7th, I'll be sleeping in. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would like to see some more people who have uh, rational thought. Well, I know of elected. at least one. I know of at least one. And you know her, too. Amanda. Curtis. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. She, was, uh, she only had a primary, so she's, uh, was it representative-elect already? Yep. And that'll be fun, because I think some people think that she was going to be a pushover because she's a teacher. Oh, she's just a teacher. That's got to be the <laughs> dumbest thing I've ever heard come out of someone's mouth. Yeah. Oh, she's just a teacher. She'll follow the party line. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a lot that'll of good. I mean, I, I um, respect them. <clears throat> I don't envy the work that they have to do, especially when it comes to balancing the state budget. Mm. Uh, the amount of detail <clears throat> and the amount of information to get, plus put that against the amount of pressure that they get. Oh, yeah. And people who say, no, you should spend the money here. No, you should spend it here. How come you're not spending it on my interest or whatever is incredible. Right. Um, and the data that they get, and they get it, they get conflicting data. One from the um, Terry Johnson's um, revenue department saying, you're going to get this, this. We see this much coming in, especially this last session. And the other side was the governor's office saying, no, there's this much coming in. And there's a, a lot of push intention and and want not to develop because of that because they don't know i mean it is any way you look at it you can do all the assessments all the research that you want but it's still it's an educated guess but yeah. it's a guess yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of unintended consequences we're going to pass this law and oh by the way it does this ah, yeah not what we meant yeah Fun. Well, Carl, thank you very much for being on the show. I really appreciate totally. it. I, you have, and ever since I've met you, I've admired you. I think the, everything that you do with the, the TV stuff that we do is just amazing. And um, the fact that you not only put up with the legislature, but walked through it pretty gracefully this last session was astounding to me because I was running through the building like I had just Well, you didn't see fire. me slamming my head into the marble walls out there. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to do that quietly and away from people. Uh, and, you know, people who I know and I like. Um, senators and representatives that I've known for a very long time, you see them in the hall and they run away from you um, because they know what you're going to say and they know that you're going to point out that they did something that was downright silly, if not dumb. And uh, Or they look at you and say, you know, if I get seen talking to you, people are going to, other legislators are going to call me names or wonder what I'm up to or whatnot, so I can't. I just can't talk to you. And uh, that's really disturbing. It really is. It's... Uh, uh, not a fun place to be in. And part of that was who I was working for, for state fund at the time, but um, because they're seen wow. as sort of the evil empire. Um, oh, they haven't seen the evil empire yet. <laughs> no, but it, um, I managed to survive it. Uh, most of the scars have somewhat healed up. Um, I don't wake up screaming in the middle of the night anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> I do, but you know, it's what happens. Well, cool. Well, thank you for being on the show. And everybody, if you're looking for information on State Fund, I'll put a couple links in the show notes. I hope you have a great week. Or feel free to call or email me. Um, Oh, I still know enough about it. Carl at liongroup.biz. Cool. And uh, be happy to answer any questions or have a cup of coffee with you and talk things over. Because like I said, there's so much misinformation and, and untruths out there about work comp and State Fund. It's amazing. Yep. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Thank you.